Part 4, Propositions 36 to 40 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part 4. Propositions 36 to 40. Proposition 36. The highest good of those who follow virtue is common to all, and therefore all can equally rejoice therein. Proof. To act virtuously is to act in obedience with reason. Part 4. Proposition 24. And whatsoever we endeavour to do in obedience to reason is to understand. Part 4, Proposition 26. Therefore, by Part 4, Proposition 28, the highest good for those who follow after virtue is to know God. That is, Part 2, Proposition 47, and note, a good which is common to all and can be possessed by all men equally in so far as they are of the same nature. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. Someone may ask how it would be if the highest good of those who follow after virtue were not common to all. Would it not then follow, as above, part 4, proposition 34, that men living in obedience to reason, that is, part 4, proposition 35, men in so far as they agree in nature, would be at variance one with another. To such an inquiry I make answer, that it follows not accidentally, but from the very nature of reason, that man's highest good is common to all, inasmuch as it is deduced from the very essence of man, in so far as defined by reason, and that a man could neither be nor be conceived without the power of taking pleasure in this highest good. For it belongs to the essence of the human mind. Part 2, Proposition 47. To have an adequate knowledge of the eternal and infinite essence of God. Proposition 37. The good which every man who follows after virtue desires for himself, he will also desire for other men, and so much the more, in proportion as he has a greater knowledge of God. Proof. Men, in so far as they live in obedience to reason, are most useful to their fellow men. Part 4, Proposition 35, Corollary 1. Therefore, Part 4, Proposition 19, we shall in obedience to reason necessarily endeavour to bring about that men should live in obedience to reason. But the good which every man, in so far as he is guided by reason, or in other words, follows after virtue, desires for himself, is to understand, part 4, proposition 26, wherefore the good which, which each follower of virtue seeks for himself, he will desire also for others. Again, desire, in so far as it is referred to the mind, is the very essence of the mind. Definition of the emotions, 1. Now the essence of the mind consists in knowledge, part 2, proposition 11, which involves the knowledge of God, part 2, proposition 47, 
and without it, part 1, proposition 15, can neither be nor be conceived. Therefore, in proportion as the mind's essence involves a greater knowledge of God, so also will be greater the desire of the follower of virtue that other men should possess that which he seeks as good for himself. Quadarat demonstrandum. Another proof. The good which a man desires for himself and loves, he will love more constantly if he sees that others love it also. Part 3, Proposition 31. He will therefore endeavour that others should love it also. And as the good in question is common to all, and therefore all can rejoice therein, he will endeavour for the same reason to bring about that all should rejoice therein. And this he will do the more, part 3, proposition 37, in proportion as his own enjoyment of the good is greater. Note 1. He who guided by emotion only endeavours to cause others to love what he loves himself, and to make the rest of the world live according to his own fancy, acts solely by impulse and is therefore hateful, especially to those who take delight in something different. And accordingly, study and by similar impulse endeavour to make men live in accordance with what pleases themselves. Again, as the highest good sought by men under the guidance of emotion is often such that it can only be possessed by a single individual, it follows that those who love it are not consistent in their intentions, but while they delight to sing its praises, fear to be believed. But he who endeavours to lead men by reason does not act by impulse, but courteously and kindly, and his intention is always consistent. Again, whatsoever we desire and do whereof we are the cause, in so far as we possess the idea of God or no God, I set down to religion. The desire of well-doing, which is engendered by a life according to reason, I call piety. Further, the desire whereby a man living according to reason is bound to associate others with himself in friendship, I call honour. Footnote Honestas By honourable I mean that which is praised by men living according to reason, and by base I mean that which is repugnant. To the gaining of friendship. I have also shown in addition what are the foundations of a state, and the difference between true virtue and infirmity may be readily gathered from what I have said, namely, that true virtue is nothing else but living in accordance with reason, while infirmity is nothing else but man's allowing himself to be led by things which are external to himself and to be by them determined to act in a manner demanded by the general disposition of things, rather than by his own nature, considered solely in itself. Such are the matters which I engaged to prove in Proposition 18 of this part, whereby it is plain that the law against the slaughter of animals is founded rather on vain superstition and womanish pity than on sound reason. The rational quest of what is useful to us further teaches us the necessity of associating ourselves with our fellow men, but not with beasts, or things whose nature is different from our own. We have the same rights in respect to them as they have in respect to us. 
Nay, as every one's right is defined by his virtue or power, men have far greater rights over beasts than beasts have over men. Still, I do not deny that beasts feel. What I deny is that we may not consult our own advantage, and use them as we please, treating them in the way which best suits us, for their nature is not like ours, and their emotions are naturally different from human emotions. Part 3, Proposition 57, Note. It remains for me to explain what I mean by just and unjust, sin and merit. On these points, see the following note. Note 2. In the appendix to Part 1, I undertook to explain praise and blame, merit and sin, justice and injustice. Concerning praise and blame, I have spoken in Part 3, Proposition 29, Note. The time has now come to treat of the remaining terms, but I must first say a few words concerning man in the state of nature and in society. Every man exists by sovereign natural right, and consequently, by sovereign natural right performs those actions which follow from the necessity of his own nature. Therefore, by sovereign natural right, every man judges what is good and what is bad, takes care of his own advantage, according to his own disposition. Part 4, Proposition 19, and Part 4, Proposition 20. Avenges the wrongs done to him, Part 3, Proposition 40, Corollary 2, and endeavours to preserve that which he loves, and to destroy that which he hates, Part 3, Proposition 28. Now if men lived under the guidance of reason, every one would remain in possession of this, his right, without any injury being done to his neighbour. Part 4, Proposition 35, Corollary 1. But seeing that they are a prey to their emotions, which far surpass human power or virtue, Part 4, Proposition 6, they are often drawn in different directions, and being at variance one with another, Part 4, Propositions 33 and 34, stand in need of mutual help. Part 4, Proposition 35, Note. Wherefore, in order that men may live together in harmony, and may aid one another, it is necessary that they should forego their natural right, and, for the sake of security, refrain from all actions which can injure their fellow men. The way in which this end can be obtained, so that men, who are necessarily a prey to their emotions, Part 4, Proposition 4, Corollary, inconstant and diverse, should be able to render each other mutually secure and feel mutual trust, is evident from Part 4, Proposition 7, and Part 3, Proposition 39. It is there shown that an emotion can only be restrained by an emotion stronger than and contrary to itself, that men avoid inflicting injury through fear of incurring a greater injury themselves. On this law society can be established, so long as it keeps in its own hand the right, possessed by everyone, of avenging injury, and pronouncing on good and evil, and provided it also possesses the power to lay down a general rule of conduct, and to pass laws sanctioned not by reason, which is powerless in restraining emotion, but by threats. Part 4, Proposition 17, Note. Such a society established with laws and the power of preserving itself, is called a state, while those who live under its protection are called citizens. 
we may readily understand that there is in the state of nature nothing which by universal consent is pronounced good or bad, for in the state of nature every one thinks solely of his own advantage, and according to his disposition, with reference only to his individual advantage, decides what is good or bad, being bound by no law to any one besides himself. In the state of nature, therefore, sin is inconceivable. It can only exist in a state where good and evil are pronounced on by common consent, and where every one is bound to obey the state authority. Sin, then, is nothing else but disobedience, which is therefore punished by the right of the state only. Obedience, on the other hand, is set down as merit, inasmuch as a man is thought worthy of merit, if he takes delight in the advantages which a state provides. Again, in the state of nature, no one is by common consent master of anything, nor is there anything in nature which can be said to belong to one man rather than another. All things are common to all. Hence, in the state of nature, we can conceive no wish to render to every man his own, or to deprive a man of that which belongs to him. In other words, there is nothing in the state of nature answering to justice and injustice. Such ideas are only possible in a social state, when it is decreed by common consent what belongs to one man and what to another. From all these considerations it is evident that justice and injustice, sin and merit, are extrinsic ideas, and not attributes which display the nature of the mind. But I have said enough. Proposition 38. Whatsoever disposes the human body, so as to render it capable of being affected in an increased number of ways, or of affecting external bodies in an increased number of ways, is useful to man, and is so in proportion as the body is thereby rendered more capable of being affected or affecting other bodies in an increased number of ways. Contrariwise, whatsoever renders the body less capable in this respect is hurtful to man. Proof Whatsoever thus increases the capabilities of the body increases also the mind's capability of perception. Part 2, Proposition 14 Therefore, whatsoever thus disposes the body and thus renders it capable is necessarily good or useful. Part 4, Proposition 26 and 27, and is so in proportion to the extent to which it can render the body capable, contrariwise. Part 2, Proposition 14, and Part 4, Propositions 26 and 27, it is hurtful if it renders the body, in this respect, less capable. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 39. Whatsoever brings about the preservation of the proportion of motion and rest which the parts of the human body mutually possess is good. Contrariwise, whatsoever causes a change in such proportion is bad. Proof. The human body needs many other bodies for its preservation. Part 2. Postulate 4. But that which constitutes the specific reality former of a human body, is that its parts communicate their several motions one to another in a certain fixed proportion. Definition before lemma 4, after part 2, proposition 13. 
Therefore, whatsoever brings about the preservation of the proportion between motion and rest, which the parts of the human body mutually possess, preserves the specific reality of the human body, and consequently renders the human body capable of being affected in many ways, and of affecting external bodies in many ways. Consequently it is good by the last proposition. Again, whatsoever brings about a change in the aforesaid proportion causes the human body to assume another specific character. In other words, see preface to this part towards the end, though the point is indeed self-evident, to be destroyed and consequently totally incapable of being affected in an increased number of ways. Therefore it is bad. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note, the extent to which such causes can injure or be of service to the mind will be explained in the fifth part, but I would here remark that I consider that a body undergoes death when the proportion of motion and rest, which obtained mutually among its several parts, is changed. For I do not venture to deny that a human body, while keeping the circulation of the blood and other properties wherein the life of a body is thought to consist, may nonetheless be changed into another nature totally different from its own. There is no reason which compels me to maintain that a body does not die, unless it becomes a corpse, nay, experience would seem to point to the opposite conclusion. It sometimes happens that a man undergoes such changes that I should hardly call him the same, as I have heard tell of a certain Spanish parrot who had been seized with sickness, and though he recovered therefrom, yet remained so oblivious of his past life that he would not believe the plays and tragedies he had written to be his own. Indeed, he might have been taken for a grown-up child if he had also forgotten his native tongue. If this instance seems incredible, what shall we say of infants? A man of ripe age deems their nature so unlike his own that he can only be persuaded that he too has been an infant by the analogy of other men. However, I prefer to leave such questions undiscussed, lest I should give ground to the superstitious for raising new issues. Proposition 40. Whatsoever conduces to man's social life, or causes men to live together in harmony, is useful, whereas whatsoever brings discord into a state is bad. Proof. For whatsoever causes men to live together in harmony also causes them to live according to reason. Part 4, Proposition 35, and is therefore, by Part 4, Proposition 26 and 27, good, and for the same reason, whatsoever brings about discord is bad. Quod erat demonstrandum. End of Part 4, Propositions 36 to 40. Recording by OK.